Restoring Darkness is brought to you by Nevluma, illuminating the pursuit of dark skies. Welcome back to the Restoring Darkness podcast. On today's show, I'm honored to be joined by Jin Bai. Jin is a fourth-year PhD candidate in the Fisheries, Wildlife, and Conservation Biology program at NCSU and studies the drivers of urban bird diversity. He has extensive experience designing, coordinating, and assisting, assisting citizen science projects, including, the organize, including organizing the Triangle Bird Count. Jin co-founded City Bird with a mission of documenting bird window collisions and advocating for bird-friendly college campuses in the Triangle area of North Carolina. Additionally, Jin is a board member of the New Hope Audubon Society, a local nonprofit chapter of the National Audubon Society, covering Orange, Durham, and Chatham counties in, in North Carolina. And they are dedicated to local bird conservation. To see his work, I want you to go to www.citybird.org, spelled the way it sounds, citybird.org. That's an easy one. And then his social media and other websites, and that will be posted to the Restoring Darkness podcast website. Now, folks, what is this movement about? Well, you know that 70-odd lighting distributors and 25-odd lighting manufacturers got together and created the Lighting and Darkness Foundation. What's unique about this foundation? Well, we're lighting people. We're not environmentalists. We're looking to reduce, mitigate, and eliminate light pollution. We're looking at ways to measure and test for light trespass. And we believe in lighting. We're lighting people but we believe in responsible outdoor lighting at night. And so we're working towards these goals and we're helping out with different advocates in the field like Wasatch Valley and the, the Save Wasatch Back Darks guys. If you have a local problem in your community, you can contact the Lighting Darkness Foundation and we'll help you. Go to restoringdarkness.com. You can help us, of course, by while, being, while you're at restoringdarkness.com, you click the donate link. And you support our movement and what we're doing, lighting people, solving the light pollution problem. Welcome to the Restoring Darkness podcast, Jin. Thank you for having me. You know, we've been looking for someone to talk about birds for a while. And it's been hard to find, actually. We, we've asked a bunch of people, but not everybody wants to do a podcast. You know what I'm saying? My first question to you is, why, why should we care about birds? Yeah, so... Birds are a very important part of the ecosystem. They provide a lot of service to, to people. They can control pests. They eat a lot of insects that can be harmful to agriculture. Um, they are also part of the economy. You know, a lot of bird, uh, people are birders, bird watchers. So having that enough uh, sustained bird population also sustain the economy, local tourism. People go to different places throughout the country to find birds. Um, and, and also there's some recent kind of literature coming out in the psychology field, also suggesting that living close to nature, listening to bird songs and bird calls also helps like a mental well-being as well. So there's kind of a lot of ecological benefits as, as well as like economic and health benefits to people. You know, within this movement of night preservation and um, light pollution abatement and so on, um, what we're finding is that, you know, 
people were worried about the turtles and the bats. But to me, the real grotesque part of this is the amount of birds that die because of light pollution. How important yeah. is light pollution mitigation to your work? Yeah, so in, in terms of bird window collision or bird building collision, lights definitely play a very important role, um, like driving that collision. But it's also a kind of intertwined relationship with glass reflection. So there are kind of two mechanisms of how lights directly or indirectly leading to bird window collision. The first being uh, directly at night, the lights would disorient birds. So birds use stars or the moon to navigate. So those light sources would disorient them and they would directly collide with a uh, build up structure like a building. Um, and that's, that's the direct mechanism. But the second mechanism is, is that the birds attracted to the light and then they are like a disproportionately concentrating in urban areas. So they may not directly collide at night, but the, the next morning when they are about to uh, foraging and then take off again, they uh, forage along uh, trees and uh, the habitats, the remaining habitats in the urban environments that is full of reflective surface like windows. So then they will die due to reflection and they collide with the window because they couldn't distinguish what is reflection uh, or a real habitat. So the both contribute a lot, both the light and, and the glass, and they're kind of intertwined together, causing a bird window collision. In Toronto, they basically make buildings out of glass now. The, the structures that they build for condominiums are almost entirely aluminum and glass from the, the, all the way from the ground, 70, 80, 90, 100 stories of glass and aluminum. So is the, the problem, I guess, is getting worse on the glass front and worse on the light pollution front. Yeah, yeah, both, both are issues that need to work to solve this issue. Because if you just solve the light, which is still important, doesn't treat the windows, that was still, you know, causing collision because not all the birds would directly collide with the, with the building at night. And so when we had more brick buildings, this was much less of a problem. Um, I mean, I think the overall is reducing the glass area or some, some kind of architect design that will reduce the reflection will help. But in terms of how light directly causing collision, the building doesn't even have to have windows to cause collision. So because during night, uh, at night, the light disorient them, they could collide with a structure just completely just bricks or just a man-made structure. Without a window, they would still collide. Mm. Um, but during daytime is when the, the glass matters. Ah. Uh, yeah. So, so at, for night, example, at night, it's not the, when they have light inside the building, that's not, that's not the, those are two separate problems is what you're saying. Um, I guess it also comes to the question of the, how the light's coming from, right? Um, so I was kind of referring to the lights, for example, from 9-11 tribute. They have the light beam mm -hmm. throughout to the sky that will attract hundreds, even thousands of birds coming down to the ground or the building level. So those lights are definitely harmful. Uh, they will collide with structure with, with windows or not. Um, but uh, other kind of lights, the indoor lighting also matters. There's not a lot of research on this. There are a few research on examining how like a turning lights on and off indoor can have impact. Uh, there is one study coming from Chicago. Uh, it's the 
Mac, uh, McCormick Place Center uh, in downtown Chicago. And they have this long-term data, about 20 years of monitoring Berwinder Coalition. And the first 10 years, they have their, uh, the building light uh, completely lit up. And then the second decade, they reduce about half. So half, only half of the building are light. And they found that the coalition was reduced about like 50 to 60%. So there's some effect from indoor lighting as well, uh, as well as the kind of outdoor projecting upwards lighting. Yeah, both, both. So the um, so there's a multitude of factors going on here. What is it about the birds and this 9/11 light or the light from the Luxor in Las Vegas or these lights that go up into the sky? What's attracting the birds and why can't they get out of the circling of it? Because they basically circle until they run out of energy and die, right? Yeah. Or they just get so attracted, they will go uh, because they migrate at night at a high altitude. The light will then just kind of just flying towards the source of the light to the building level, kind of much lower altitude, and then kind of collide with building or just die of ex exhaustion. Um, but I don't personally know why is that. Is that beyond just the the fact that birds use light source like stars to navigate? Mm. But so for, for some reason, they are just attracted to those light source and cannot uh, like get around it. So the same thing also goes for like even before kind of extensive urbanization, uh, lighthouse is also a source for that. Like a lighthouse mm. in a sure. really remote area can also attract birds uh, and then they could, you know, die of exhaustion or collide. The what's maybe you won't know the answer to this question, but I it's interesting to me so birds you say are orientating themselves to the stars or to celestial bodies the moon and these types of things and we know that turtles hatch and look for the moon and then go to the water right yeah how does evolution in, embed this into the brains of simple creatures like that like how do they know like are birds taught by their parents to look at that's the milky way over there boy you're going to follow the Milky Way and that'll take you to the island where all the good food is. <laughs> like, or is it, is it just that, that they're born with a relationship to these um, celestial bodies and the, you know, electromagnetic field of the earth or whatever? Are they born that way with a, a relationship to the stars? I believe, I don't know too much about this subject, but I believe it's born with it. It's now through like learning because most birds, after they're hatching, uh, they become independent. So th I don't think they would just learn from their parents. You know, some we always, we assume as, um, you know, the uh, uh, highest form of life on earth or the most intelligent form of life. I don't know, octopuses and cuttlefish are pretty smart. But, um, and whales and that. But, you know, so we always assume that everything is taught, right? And I wonder to myself, sometimes I wonder to myself, Jen, and I know we're going to get back to birds in a second here, but I wonder if they're, if all this light pollution and the inability and radio, like light sound and cell phone towers, they're all waves. These are just different kinds of particle waves, right? And I'm wondering if maybe they're maybe it's messing with us too, you know? Um, you know, and when you're looking at a screen a lot, that's also kind of a form of light pollution too. And so I wonder to myself if maybe this light pollution problem is far more pervasive and damaging than we think. You know, yeah. I, 
I wonder doing all these podcasts. Could be very subtle. Yeah, yeah. Could yeah. Be very subtle. We just couldn't detect. Yeah, like like maybe you know like have we measured people's sense of awe declining since 1950 or something like you know what I'm saying that that and that's why there's all this you know psychedelic drugs and marijuana legalization because people don't have access to a sense of awe or inspiration like that I often wonder and then when I hear you telling me about the birds whether it's magnetic field or they're or they're born they're born with this orientation it 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 makes it to me it elevates the urgency of the issue um so when 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 you're doing your work have you noticed any successes can you tell us any projects or anything you've worked on that where there's some good news yeah so i did have some success in in terms of treating um glass uh, that was part of the city bird uh, project we identify a few bus shelters that have clear glass and uh, it was killing a lot of white-throated sparrows they overwinter in north carolina and um, I seek that opportunity and apply for a grant on campus called the Sustainability uh, Fund. And uh, using that fund, I got uh, funded and to purchase a bur- uh, feather-friendly product that are like a dot pattern. So that will break the... So in this case, it's not reflection. That's another thing. Um, reflection is the case mo- mostly. But for like bus shelter, it's because of clear glass, the birds can just see through the habitat on the other side. So it's not a reflection, but can see to the other side. So I was putting those markers so that the birds can recognize that's not possible. So, uh, so far we haven't seen any collision after the installation, which was, uh, we installed it uh, about two months ago on three different bus shelters uh, on NC State campus. So you've heard, you obviously you know, but like um, the birds of prey have the most effective eyesight of all creatures i believe i think that's correct is it not they can see the furthest and the clearest Um, yeah i mean i think most raptors have pretty good eyesight yeah yeah so how are birds seeing differently that they're confusing glass with just a a clear air like what is it about the way they see do we we know that i do have some theories so again this is now like i think well known or well established but what I can kind of differentiating between like a human or a bird, at least one aspect, is that their eyes are on the side. So we have our eyes in the front and their eyes are on the side. And when we have eyes like in front of us, it creates a lot of overlap. Like the, our vision from the left eye and the right eye overlap a lot in front of us. Mm. And I believe that helps the perception of depth or like perceive something that's three-dimensional. That overlap helps versus the, the bird's view, they are still good at locating things, but they may not recognize something that's actually two-dimensional versus three-dimensional because we will be able to tell this reflection because it's now actual three-dimensional object, right? It's just on the surface. But maybe for birds, it's confusing because they don't have that. But that's just a theory. Um, again, I'm not completely sure if it will be the cause. The light pollution, is it, you mentioned that light from inside, the, behind the glass can be an issue, and then other light pollution from street lights or can attract, mm-hmm. no, sorry, from the, you know, sort of uh, the Luxor or the, um, one, the World Trade Center Memorial, 
um, 9-11 memorial that can attract them and cause them to, you know, be exhausted or smashing the buildings. Is there other forms of um, light pollution, say roadway lighting through a wilderness area that's 5,000 Kelvin and high output? Are there there's distinct issues that you've observed with that kind of lighting? I don't know anything particular if it has is a major impact, but I think in a rural area, if a, a car just driving by, they probably have some maybe subtle impact, but there should be some disturbance as well. Not just for birds, I was thinking like even insects or other, any creature that live along the roadside maybe are, you know, resting could be disturbed temporarily. The effect mm. probably is a minimum, but I think there is an effect kind of disturb like their, uh, the rhythm of their, you know, like when, when to wake up and when to sleep. Hmm. You know, it's interesting. I, think, I, yeah. I live on a farm and a lot of people, Jin, they don't realize how loud cars are as well. Like yeah. you can hear a car drive. If a car is driving, you know, 60, 50 or 60 miles per hour on a road, on a country road, and you can hear it from a long way away coming. It's very, very loud. And a truck is even louder. And so there's this combination of light, street light, noise, all these different things. One of the things that, <clears throat> you know, I've always thought of, which might be part of the problem, is that in the past, humans were a diurnal species. And I'm not talking about, you know, thousands of years ago. I'm talking about 75 years ago. Or even, you know, 80, like maybe 50 years ago. And we seem to be advancing into the night as a species. And, yeah. and, and taking out, eliminating the night. Because we're diurnal, so we want lights on everywhere, right? When we're out at, at night. And I think this is a, is a growing, increasing phenomenon. Um, that the, the human activity at night just seems to increase and increase and increase it, you know, more and more and more. Um, is that part of the problem as well? We're just out and about at night more? Yeah, I mean, especially I can think of people who view big city when there are so much lights lit up the sky, they see that as prosperity. They see that as, you know, well-developed, high economy, good economy, like that kind of symbol is kind of integrated into most people's mind when they think of big city or like well-developed country. So I think that's definitely kind of part of the problem. And as you point out that more people are active at night, uh, those things. Um, and probably also part of it, you know, when I, um, especially advocating for like a lifestyle policy or even at a specific building level, uh, security is also a kind of concern. I think part of this mm, question, sure. you know, when you want to turn off lights, people may want to do it because they feel like insecure or, you know, crime risk, that kind of stuff. Well, I mean, you know what? Lighting is neither the cause nor the solution to crime. Um, I've said that, you know, many times. And, you know, at the Smithsonian exhibit, which um, lights out, which is a new exhibit in, in Washington, D.C., talking about light pollution and night preservation, they put the famous picture of North and South Korea on the wall, right? So if you, you know, peep, light pollution is a literal, like an indication of wealth or something that we need to decouple from. You know, we need to decouple light pollution and success. Light pollution is not successful. It's pollution. 
Yeah. It's a real mm-hmm. pollution. And it causes problems. And we need to, if we could find a way to shame light pollution. So, um, you know, I had a customer just the other day beside a beautiful field. Um, there's an office building and it's in a smaller town in Ontario. And there's his office building is sort of at the end of this road. And then there's um, like a meadow right there. And some kids came and sprayed graffiti all over the side of his wall. And now he wants to put projection floods on the side of his building, right, out to um, onto the field in the meadow. And, you know, I'll tell you, man, I'm the host of the Restoring Darkness podcast. I'm the exec- interim executive director of the Lighting and Darkness Foundation. I could not talk sense to this guy. He wanted lights on the side of that wall of that building, and he, could, he didn't care. He was convinced that lights would stop the graffiti. And I said, well, there's no evidence for that. You know, we don't know. And I'd love to sell you some lights, but why don't we do this kind of light where the light shines down and no, no, I want to just, just blast the light out there. Just keeps everybody away. And yeah. but the problem is we have a straw man, Jen. He doesn't have to prove that that's going to work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I have to prove that it won't work definitively. Yeah, Yeah, that's true. And so that, that there's a straw man argument we have here where the people that want to light pollute assume that what they're doing makes everybody safer, is better for everybody, happier, everyone likes it, no one's going to have a problem with it. And the, um, you know, you're, you have to prove with, uh, with you know, peer-reviewed journal studies that that doesn't work or he's not, they're not even going to listen to you. When in fact, I think the responsibility, we should try to find a way to switch that responsibility on the people that, that want to do this kind of thing. I don't know if it's possible. Yeah. Uh, it kind of reminds me another, uh, I think a, maybe a virtual talk I attended to related to this. They were also recommending like at the residential yard level to using uh, lights that are only downwards. And they were comparing not just the benefits of you know reducing the light upwards, but actually having the the street light downwards towards towards the ground will actually help you see clear if an actual intruder come to your house. Because when you have the light so bright up uh, to, towards different directions, it kind of it's kind of like when you look at your phone in the dark, it, you you cannot see the road anymore. It's kind of that, mm-hmm. that by contrast. So yeah, so when you have the light actually only towards the ground, even though the overall sur- surrounding environment is relatively darker, you make it easier to spot someone actually intruding the property. So it's actually better of uh, detecting crime and as well as uh, you know protecting for other uh, animals as well. And lots of research has proven that more street light causes different kinds of crime. So you're you you know where you know. Um, you know, lighting will get homeless people to move to somewhere else. It doesn't find them a home. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Do you understand what I'm saying? Like lighting yeah. will remove vagrancy. Okay. It will get vagrants. If you shine a light on an area where vagrants are sleeping or there's a tent city, if you put a bright light on them, um, they'll move. You know why? Because light pollution kind of hurts people. They don't like it. Right. So, it's almost proving the point, right? So it's like, yeah, well, you can get rid of homelessness and vagrancy, but with lighting, well, they just, it doesn't get them a home. And in fact, it kind of proves the point, Jen, 
because light pollution hurts people. That's why they, the homeless people move somewhere else when you shine LED lights on them because it's not comfortable. Yeah. They don't like it. Neither does the wildlife, right? Yeah. And the situation is exacerbated by LED, Jen. It's made way worse. Um, has anybody in the bird studies area stu uh, had any, made any comparison, say, between HPS, the old lighting system we used to use prior primarily in outdoor lighting and 5,000 Kelvin LED? Has anyone observed the difference with the birds? I'm not aware of any study like specifically looking into that. So I, I'm not sure mm. if anybody has looked into that. Um, like, like I said, I think just in general, this um, we all know that light disorient birds, but the actual study, I think, directly linking that lies causing bird collision that study is not that much out there i mean mm. it's a harder thing to study because like i said they're intertwined with the glass mm -hmm. so it's hard to, to distangle whether it's because of glass or the light you know mm -hmm. <clears throat> so um you know with light pollution gin and i'm going to get your final thoughts here in a second um we've gone from beautiful to conspicuous to grotesque you know, when they first put the Eiffel Tower up, I'm sure it was absolutely stunningly gorgeous to any person that would ever saw it. And now in the 80s and 90s, we went to a place where things were starting to become conspicuous. And now with the dawning of LED lighting, light pollution has become a serious environmental issue. And it's time for us to, um, to, 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 to move it into the realm of climate change and plastics in the ocean and these other problems. Jen, do you yeah. have any final thoughts for the Restoring Darkness listeners? Um, I guess some kind of final thoughts. Um, first of all, uh, where I am in Raleigh, uh, there's some uh, movement pushing lights out. Uh, there's a movement of lights out Raleigh, mm. lights out Chapel Hill. Uh, those are just targeting governmental buildings, but it's still a good start and raise some awareness about this issue. Mm. And and even uh, going through like some of the kind of comprehensive plan of a city, um, I recently went into some of the uh, plan in Raleigh, and they actually have a designated section talking about reducing light pollution. So I think there's some hope. I guess more and more awareness and at a governmental level. They are recognizing that this is something they need to address at the city level and you know envisioning their future they should incorporate uh, into that lifestyle movement and uh, i think throughout the the us a lot of big cities have been part of this um, lifestyle movement uh, primarily initiated from like a different Audubon society uh, especially during, uh, in cities that are uh, part of the central migration pathway and the and there's also maybe another thing to add is um, there's a resource called Birdcast, which is a website, uh, uh, Birdcast, C-A-S-T. So just similarly to weather forecast, they do migration forecast. So it's using mm. the same radar, radar system because birds move faster than clouds. They can recognize this birds moving, not clouds moving. So they, they are able to detect how many Birds are passing through an area and then running some model predicting the migration intensity in the following nights. So those are really useful too in terms of if a city or a building is not willing to turn off lights like during migration seasons throughout the month, but if they are willing to turn off just a few single nights, 
really high intensity of migration happening, that will still help. So that kind of resource will like generate alerts like for a given city, like maybe October 1st is the, word, the, the highest migration intensity, then you know, certain building can turn off lights will help even, even if it's not the entire uh, migration season. You know, not to open it back up, but you, you just yeah. made an amazing point because I've been, and I, I think we're really going to come together on this one right now and on what you just said there, Jen. So um, I've been advocating for a long time to the lighting industry that the number one case for digital lighting controls is not inside lighting, it's exterior lighting. There's mm -hmm. so many ways, like forget about, you know, night preservation and birds. We'll get to that in one second. But there's so many different use cases for advanced, whatever you want to call them, digital Bluetooth mesh network lighting controls in municipal and outdoor street lights. And this is a beautiful reason right there. You just said it like a, a city planner could say, oh, geez, we've got a migration tonight. Okay, just send out a, on, put out on our Twitter that we're dimming all the street lights down to, you know, by 90% for tonight. And here's why, because the, you know, the, the, the black adult dark crow is coming over in a horde. This would be exciting for people. People would get excited about this is smart. You know, mm -hmm. and it's it's such a wonderful way to add that if, you know, you could take make an Uber for light pollution for birds. You know, here come the birds, turn off the lights. Birds are gone. Now turn your light pollution back up. That would be a good yeah. step in the right direction. And, you know, lighting industry, I want to tell you right now, lights out Durham or Chapel Hill or anybody talking about light pollution. This does not mean less lights. It means more lights. We're going to sell more lights. They're just going to be different kinds of lights. And if you want to do a good exterior lighting system, which is uh, pr produces less light pollution, you have to use more lights. And lighting industry, listen to me if you're listening. It means we have to take out a lot of the lights we just put in in the last 10 years. Who's going to do it? We're going to do it. The lighting industry is going to do it. What are we waiting for? So go to RestoringDarkness.com for the Lighting and Darkness Foundation. This is the lighting industry's move into the night preservation space, into the restoring darkness space, into the dark sky space, whatever you want to call it. And if you're there and you don't know what to do and you got your credit card in your pocket, why not click the donate link and give us a little bit of money? Because we could use it, trust me. we got a lot of stuff we're working on right now. If you have a light pollution issue, in your neighborhood, in your area, you have a light trespass, you can contact the Lighting and Darkness Foundation by going to RestoringDarkness.com and reaching out to us. And of course, I thank you all for listening. I've had a wonderful conversation with Jen today. It's been fun. I've been trying to get a bird person on for a long time, so it's great to have him. And his Instagram, his Twitter, his own personal website, and of course, CityBird.org will be posted to that, to the website. And is it BirdCast.org, Jen? Um, I think maybe birdcast.com. Dot com. Well, Scotty will look it yeah. up in the interim and we'll make sure it's posted to the restoringdarkness.com website. Folks, I love you guys out there, all you listeners and everyone around the world. Thank you for listening. Bye for now. Look no further for dark sky friendly products than Evluma. Since its first product launch, Evluma has carried one or more International Dark Sky Association certified models. If your customer cares about light pollution, 
Suggest the Omnimax with shielding or the Area Max with full cutoff to reduce uplight and glare. Evluma, illuminating the pursuit of darkness.